Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Blue, founder and president of CenterVision Leadership Foundation, where we create synergy with the common vision. And today, creating synergy is really a power play that um, it's the way of life. It is the way to promote the organization that you lead. We're leading a business, and it's really hard because it's what we call nonprofit, which isn't a really good word. It is a business that creates revenue that provides better life for the people whom we serve. My guest today uh, is founder of JVology, uh, Jay Fizette, who's in Canada. And so I'm going to throw it to Jay. And Jay, tell people, who is Jay Fizette and why do you do what you do? Oh, grand question. So first and foremost, Hugh, thank you so much for having me here. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, who is Jay Fizette? Well, I, we'll start at the beginning. I'm a Saskatchewan farm kid um, who uh, was always fascinated by entrepreneurship and relationships. And, uh, you know, I, I bought my first bicycle from uh, Entrepreneurial Adventures, my first car, all those sorts of things. So, um, and did all of those things really in partnership with my childhood best friend, Fritz, and he and I are still best friends, you know, 54 years later. Um, but my entrepreneurial ventures really uh, took me into the world of personal development and transformation, which I spent basically, well, I'm still there, but in terms of the core business, about 27 years and had about 40,000 people come through our door uh, doing these deep transformational processes. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited that we get to talk about beliefs on this show. Not everybody asks that level of question, which is uh, fantastic. So we really help people align their beliefs to uh, their passion, their vision, and their unique contribution to the world. So I had about 40,000 people come through the doors uh, doing that over those, uh, you know, what is it, you know, 25, 27 years. And then I got uh, sort of seduced by the idea uh, that I would become a digital marketer, not work quite as hard. And uh, I took an adventure into that process, which was a uh, epic leap into failure. <laughs> there's, there's no way to say it better than that and spend about three years mucking around and burning every red cent I had on planet Earth trying to figure it out. Um, and then, uh, you know, if there is nothing, one thing you should know about me is that I am uh, persistent like a bulldog. So, of course, if I'm failing, I have to figure out how to do it. And ultimately, I ended up hitting a home run with a, with a brand and a program called uh, Mastermind Millions, which is about uh, helping coaches, authors, experts, entrepreneurs position, launch, and lead their own mastermind groups. And then that led me to uh, that win. You know, we just kept having people come and say, how did you do that? How did you do that? How did you do that? And the answer was always joint ventures, uh, collaborations, win-win uh, strategic partnerships. And it's like, well, can you teach me? And that gave birth to the brand JVology, the perfect mix of people, fun, and profit. And by the way, that is a, a twist on the word mixology. You know, if you get if you get the ingredients just right, it's quite fantastic. Well, the same is true for joint ventures. If you get the if you get the mix exactly right, it's perfect. So the perfect mix of people, fun, and profit. And uh, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We are 35 years in, and I have never been more in love, and we've never had more fun. And I have two boys, 15, uh, who's a teenager, and one that's 10, who's still mainly cute. <laughs> I anticipate that'll be gone in about three years. <laughs> oh, my. That was, that was a lot of good stuff. And what's this thing about cars? You have a passion for cars. Right. There is something about me, Hugh, that just loves taking rusty old pieces of you-know-what and uh, bringing them back to life. And in fact, I, I have a 1970 240Z Datsun that, that's an old, uh, you know, one of the first, but it was the car that started the Japanese sort of sports car invasion. And, um, and I've had it for 22 years and it's just finishing its second restoration. I pick it up tomorrow. And uh, by the way, th this tomorrow has been tomorrow for about uh, 12 days, but yes. tomorrow is it's really tomorrow. And uh, honest to goodness, I I'm about to take my pillow and sleep beside it um, for <laughs> to make sure that that actually happens. Anyway, th there's just some degree of satisfaction about uh, taking care of something that's old, unique and unusual. Um, but I, I, I also, as I've gotten older, uh, for my 50th birthday, I went to Germany and uh, bought my first brand new Porsche, uh, just because it's like, what I want is something that has like a heated seat and doesn't squeak and rattle, and I don't have to shift. And, and that's a pretty spectacular car, but it's not the same as the old stuff. 
take advantage of something that's old and valuable. And what was the other piece? Uh, well, I don't know. I was just babbling. That's I just love my cars. Wife. That's, <laughs> my wife. that's probably what my wife says about me. So, <laughs> so um, people may be listening to the podcast or watching this video um, late as sometime in the future, but we're, we're talking about a year and a month into the famous pandemic in 2021 is where we are. We are and, too. Um, I think some some people decided not to participate in the down the downsizing of business and the uh, feeling sorry for themselves and decided to move forward. And there's a number of people who've uh, really expanded their their influence. And we're in this little box <laughs> called Zoom a lot, but the the difference that people make in the box. And at Center Vision, what we do is help people take their boards and their teams from looking like this. <laughs> to looking like this. So if you're listening, it was a kind of a horse stall looking at the wrong end to an orchestra. So um, it's not blue sky either. It's it's substantive coming together of values and principles and, and outcomes. And I've heard you speak a number of times now. I just heard about you from uh, probably the last year or so from Kathleen Panning, who's been on the show and uh, David Gruder been on the show before. Both and amazing people. They're both Alliance partners and we do stuff together. Um, but they uh, really, really said lots of very valuable things about you and your programs and I've experienced some of your trainings. And what's really obvious to me is you care about the individual. You care about the success of the individual and you offer multiple opportunities for people to be able to grasp concepts and to find the support system, which you teach. So, so what's the, where do you start? We, we, now I want to point out here that, that we teach the quote nonprofit. It's a tax exempt organization. We call nonprofit, non-governmental organization yep. for purpose business. We must generate revenue. Mm -hmm. And we call it different things. We don't put it in the pockets of stockholders. We turned it into value for humankind. So what's so we embrace all these business principles that you're talking about, of course, for entirely different purposes. But I think the common there's a lot of commonness. One of which is we provide value to people, which generates revenue, which is the essential principle. So thinking about working together and looking for joint ventures, why don't you start talking about what is a joint venture and why is that important for nonprofit leaders and maybe even clergy? Well, and truly, I think it's important for everyone. I, I mean, truly, that this, this may sound a little bit silly, but honest goodness, if you have a heart, a pulse, um, and a, a desire to contribute, then joint ventures is something that should be considered, I think, learned more about and all those things. Most of us have, have been doing joint ventures in some way, shape, or form in our lives since the beginning of time. We just want to articulate it and sort of bring it um, to more conscious design and delivery. So FedEx guy at the door, dog going crazy if you hear all the noise. <laughs> it's just to validate this is a live session. Yes, it is. And, and that, my friends, is Hurricane Lou, my Hungarian Vishla, um, who is mainly adorable and sometimes crazy just like the rest of the family. Um, so um, back to this idea of joint ventures. So a joint venture is whenever two or more people or organizations come together to share their network, their wisdom, their experiences, their resources in a manner that is designed and intended to create synergy. You know, this is your, you know, where, you know, um, one plus one could be 11, create synergy for the value and for the benefit of our clients or our uh, parishers or our members or our clients in terms of an NGO or any of those sorts of things. So that's really the core of it. And um, I like to, like to think of joint ventures as this incredibly broad umbrella that uh, includes things like strategic partnerships, like uh, you know, in the business world, that would be where I have a ton of my content embedded in other people's programs. So for example, uh, we have, um, let's use Thinkific. So Thinkific is a digital platform that hosts courses, intellectual property, all those sorts of things. Well, they help people get their course up and running. But what happens is as soon as somebody publishes their course, they have a whole different problem, which is of course, who's gonna buy it? How are people gonna find out about it? How do we get eyeballs to see it? How do we actually begin to incent people to even want it or consider wanting it? So that process, um, 
they, they come to us and they say, well, JVology helps drive traffic. JVology helps drive eyeballs. JVology puts the right people in front of the right message at the right time for the right reason. So they say, could we have some of your content that we embed for our premium clients so that they understand right out of the gate that if they were to utilize this process, they could actually end up with more clients. They could actually end up with more viewers. They could actually end up with more uh, contribution and value right out of the gate. So embedded content would be one example. Other strategic partnerships are just as simple as this, is that I know that I have people on my list who are interested in nonprofits, NGOs, uh, purpose-driven businesses, those sorts of things. That would be something that would be easy for me to share uh, Synergy Vision with them because I know it's interesting. I say, hey, my friend Hugh does this work. It's not exactly my wheelhouse. I'm familiar with it. I know how to talk about it. I uh, participate to some degree, but he's the expert, not me. If you're looking for that, you should talk to Hugh. That is as simple as a joint venture, and we may or may not have a financial arrangement around that. Um, it could be something that we do as mutual support. It could be something that I get paid if you uh, convert somebody into a client. It could be something that I do uh, simply from uh, the desire to support other organizations or to build um, what we'll sometimes call relationship equity um, or reciprocity. So there's a that was a lot of words. But in short, coming together, share resources to come up with something that is going to serve and support our clients, our community better. Um, and we get to put our hats on and we get to come together as smart, contributing, caring people to figure out what that best road is. If you happen by on Facebook, this is the Nonprofit Exchange Live. Um, we interview thought leaders every Tuesday at 2 Eastern uh, USA uh, time. And um, we're seven and a half years in with some amazing people. And we've never had anybody talking about this topic in that seven and a half years. So it's quite fascinating. So the, the Covey, you, you sort of uh, talked about in the same space as Covey, you know, the, the definition of the synergy is the, the total is greater than the sum of the parts. So you can take one and one and make 11 or whatever multiplication is, is that dynamic collaboration consultation, whatever, cooperation, as Freddie Dorman used to talk about cooperative capitalism, how we can do more together. Yes. And we, we live for that at Center Vision. We live for how can we create a better world work, working together? And it's, it's really the space of philanthropy. Um, mm -hmm. It's the love of humankind. And what do we do for, for people? So being clear, now you spoke of your bride of 35 years. You didn't just, hey, let's get married the first time you saw her. You, you may have thought that, but there's uh... <laughs> so I, I have to tell you this, you just, just just for the context of the story is that so we've been together 35 years, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. So I always tease people it's like, like, we rushed the altar after a decade, like we were in a hurry. <laughs> but you knew, that's right. That was that's, that's your due diligence. You knew each other. You were absolutely sure. So I, I do see people get into relationships without having this relationship building time. And it really doesn't work out. So there underneath this this project we're doing of, of joint ventures collaborative work there's a relationship building there's a trust that comes from that what so talk about the the due diligence and then in that process how do we define expectations along with that wow that, that is a very big conversation so so i'm, I'm going to i'm going to just frame something because what you, you were talking about bernie and and i've been on bernie's stages bernie's been on our stages uh terrible that we lost him this year um he's a smart man the, um, the, the core thing for us is that there's a core belief that says, and this is what our community stands for, is that we're better together. And one of the things that we continue to do is to do our very, very best to, you know, there's no nice way of saying this, but to, to put to death this old idea of self-made man, of uh, lone cowboy entrepreneur, lone wolf, I'll do it on my own, all those things. Um, and, and as much as that um, sort of profile is celebrated and many entrepreneurs, and I, and I think it's a little bit different, honest to goodness, I think it's a little bit different in your world in terms of the NGOs um, and the pastoral. I think that there's less of the, you know, I'm gonna reinvent the world uh, on my own. And there's more of it's like, how do we come together and do this? Don't count on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I'll, I don't want to say about that. I'm just gonna leave that alone. I, I, I did have a smart aleck comment about, I, I thought the savior was already here and I thought we were supposed to do something else, but I'll just leave that be. 
<laughs> see, I, I can't stop myself when I even if I if if something's funny to me, even if it's not funny to anyone else, I just can't not say it. Anyway, um, sure. so going back to this, we're better together. So we're really doing our best to, in everything we do, challenge that idea, and to say, look, we are not designed to be islands. We can't deliver all of what our uh, clients, tribes, communities, all those sorts of things, we can't deliver all of what they need on our own. For goodness sakes, like we use the example of, of relationships we were just talking about. It's like, my dear wife and I, we can't provide everything that the other person needs in their life and in their world, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all those sorts of things. We require community. We require friends. We require family. We require children. We require um, hobbies. We require, you know, all those sorts of things. So, um, Basically, everything we do flies in the face of um, I can do it on my own and tries to get people to say, okay, if we are better together, then how? Like, what are my unique gifts and abilities that you, you may not have? What are your unique gifts and abilities that I certainly don't have? Because the, the truth of the matter is that most of us as people, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about trying to be well-rounded. You know, it's like, if you could be just well-rounded and balanced, you know, then everything's going to be okay. And, you, and, and honest to goodness, I believe that's the biggest crock of BS on planet Earth. It's not true. Most of us are really pointy. We're not well-rounded. We are pointy. We're good, maybe great at one or two things. And the rest, we're like, meh. But this myth of well-rounded gets in our way. So what if we just embraced our pointiness? Like I'm good at one or two things, that's it. And the rest of it, good Lord, I need help for. I need a team, I need a community, I need support, I need other people's wisdom. So anyway, that let me go back to my point, which is if we're better together, how? And, and our community just spends an awful lot of time in trying to figure out how. So what's your unique pointy gift? And is that something that I could support with? Is that something that I need? Is that some, something that I know somebody else needs? And how do we get those pieces working together? Um, and that becomes trial and error. That becomes little tests. We, we actually call it joint venture dating. So it's not so different than dating dating, which is let's do a little project and see if at the end of it, we would like to do another one, uh, which isn't any different than going to dinner and saying, I can't wait for the next one or let me out of here as fast as I can. <laughs> anyway, that was, that was a lot of words, but the belief, then the how, and then the experimenting and the dating process to see how it's going to work. And it doesn't always work. I mean, I, I tease people, it's like, be prepared to kiss some frogs. It's going to occur. We're trying to figure all of these things out. You, you didn't get your first dating thing right. You're not likely to get your first JV thing right either, but we will learn from it and evolve and get better. Absolutely. And we don't venture out because uh, sometimes we have this perfection thing, perfection paralysis. And we, we have to start somewhere, and, but with a reasonable process, like you've just outlined. Now on the, uh, on the page for this podcast and for the video, we've got JVology website. And um, I will say that I, have, uh, I am registered for your upcoming event shortly, and you do have them periodically. We sure and, do. Uh, I've heard all about it. Now I'm going to experience it. I've, I've seen the short, the short sessions. But um, I'm looking forward to that and learning. You know, I'm 75 this year, and I'm oh, I'm learning new stuff. So you never stop until they put you in a box. I so, so admire that. With what you're talking about, thank you. Um, the, the I study with the best conductors in the world, most of whom were in their 70s and 80s, and most of them knew that they didn't know everything. They were working really hard. And so that was an inspiration to me. And Bob Proctor I had to follow him one day on stage when he was 77. Mm -hmm. a few years ago and he and he said people say you're 77 when are you going to slow down he said i'm 77 i got to speed up i got more <laughs> to learn more to do so i really admire that and so i do i do find that there's a lot of wisdom when you've made a lot of mistakes and you've learned from them so we've we've got this period of getting acquainted yep finding out about each other understanding values and we also teach guiding principles how do you apply those values to decision-making. And so part of this, and, and I used to do a lot more than I do now, but I used to do a lot of conflict work with mm -hmm. teams because the leader really set up a problem by not defining expectations. You know, yes. if we work together, what's it look like? Then you've got something to evaluate and then there's an exit place. If it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll just do something different. So talk yeah. about, you talked about, it, they don't work out. 
but there's, there's, we make it worse by not really getting together talking about what we expect to happen and what's my role and your role. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I certainly do. And <clears throat> it's one of the reasons why, you know, and if we just use this phrase joint ventures, like we talk about in the legal world or in the real estate world, like they're often talking about like starting a new corporation and there's a whole legal structure and all those sorts of things, which is, which is one possibility, but it, it, it holds a whole bunch more uh, obligations and requirements expectations in those in those circumstances are well set out because it's a legal document and we all signed it and we know what's going on oftentimes in what i'm going to call more um i'm going to say loosely held or relationship driven type um jvs there is a lot of room for misunderstanding uh, unmet expectations all of those sorts of things and, and i'm just going to give like a a simple silly um example which is uh, somebody was working on a summit and a summit is where you pull a bunch of people together uh, who talk about a particular piece and uh, think of it like a university class on speed, but all aggregated together. The idea is that everyone promotes that piece so that if I had particular wisdom on the topic of joint ventures and you had particular wisdom on the topic of community building, we would have a different view, but it would be aligned to the topic. But everybody promotes and my people are going to be interested in your message and uh, your people are going to be interested in my message and it's going to be a win, 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 win. Um, but sometimes what happens is people say they're going to do it, but they don't promote. They just want to show up and take, meaning that I'll, I'll be there for the, for the, you know, the spotlight, but the, the work in the background is like, well, you know, I, I got a little too busy. I stubbed my toe. Mercury was in Gatorade. Um, something transpired. And, um, <clears throat> and in those circumstances, I often uh, hear from people it's like, so-and-so didn't do what they said they were going to do. They didn't deliver how they said they were going to deliver all the rest of it. It's like, well, first and foremost, if that transpires, I always believe that the onus of the communication and the agreement is on the person who's asking for the communication or the agreement. So if I did that and they didn't follow through, my first default position isn't it's them, it's that it was me. And how do I clarify my intent? How do I clarify the expectations? How do I make certain that that is clear? And how do I have a conversation with somebody who didn't fulfill those uh, obligations, if I want to, by the way, and I, to me, that just makes good sense, um, to make sure that we're clear about why this, uh, number one, isn't going to happen again, um, how it can be made right, if that needs to be made right in some way, shape, or form. But without a doubt, I think one of the biggest downfalls of JVs is in this you know, friendly win-win-win place is that people aren't specific enough about, and this is what it takes, and this is what your requirements are. And if you don't do this, this you don't get the spotlight. This is how this works. Um, and I think it's a natural part of learning because we want to think, hope the best about people, um, but hoping the best about people and not communicating clearly about what it is the requirements are is a fiasco on wheels. It's a mess waiting to happen just looking for a location so we do our very best to say let's experiment let's try something that isn't going to uh you know break the bank or uh, bet the farm and let's see how this goes and and really this is to me more the the measure i don't expect things to go right not in any way shape or form but what i do deeply expect is when we when they go awry that you and I could have a conversation, but it's like, so what happened? How do we fix that? What, do I need to clean something up? Do you need to clean something up? And if I do, then I best get busy at it. If you do, you best get busy at it. And in that circumstance, I am good all day long. Um, so to me, that's just one of those pieces. You've got to, people declare themselves, not when things are going great. People declare themselves when things go sideways. And I always look for that process. It's like when things are sideways, who are you being? How are you going to show up? What's going to transpire here? So to me, that's that whole thing is I just mitigate, uh, sort of manage my expectations. I don't have huge expectations going on. I communicate as clear as I possibly can. If things go awry, who is somebody being in that process? And that tells me if I want to play with them again. Absolutely. Um, I'm, um, you triggered a quote by James Allen in his little book, As a Man Thinketh. Um, he said, um, circumstances don't, don't make a person. I'm moving it to neutral, they, they reveal who they are to themselves and others. Correct. And um, so we, we tend to be blind about our own, own thoughts. So we deal with entrepreneurs um, and people ask me, 
do all of you entrepreneurs suffer from insanity? And I say, heck, <laughs> no, we enjoy it. <laughs> so That's a good answer, by the way. There, oh, sorry. It's a good answer, by the way. I've not heard that. So, um, so there's some there's some built-in liabilities. There's some built-in benefits. We we're brilliant. We have great ideas. But the Baloo 1090 principle, different from the Pareto principle, which is always true, but the Baloo 1090 principle is your gift, your product, your service, your secret power is 10% of your enterprise, no matter for-profit or non-profit. 90% is all the systems and the skills that make it happen. That's the infrastructure. Yes. You know, when I was music director at this 12,000 member church and I had you know, hundreds, hundreds of people in programs and on TV and all this, 10% of my job as music director was music. 90% was all that infrastructure that allowed that to happen. So as entrepreneurs, we get this magical idea. Nonprofit leaders think, oh, people are going to give to us because we're a nonprofit. Well, guess what? There's a lot of other worthy causes. We have to, we have, to have a really clear value proposition for people to understand. And, yes. in, and, and in the for-profit world, it's, just, it's pretty much the same. We think it's magic. And we can go fly a plane and we just forget about that lesson stuff because that's boring. So, <laughs> Have you met my boys? It's like, I decided I should be an NHL hockey player. What, what's the problem? How does this work? <laughs> well, you know, I did decide at 18 I would be a conductor and got a church choir job, never having been in a choir. But I had studied uh, music for 11 years. So I knew how music worked and knew how to play the piano. So I had the fundamentals correctly. So I started a 40 year career and had to learn on the way, but nobody died. And there was a system I fit into, which helped me learn. But if we're starting something new, there's, there's some, there's some uh, due diligence. What I'm understanding from the programs that I've been able to participate of yours so far is, is there's a lot of things that we can learn in this JV process that would help us build our own capacity for, for growing our enterprise. So, you know, there's the magic of connecting with others with a lot of work to make it happen, but there's also a self-awareness piece. So talk a little bit about the personal awareness piece of being able to pull off some of the stuff that, that you teach. Well, um, boy, there's an awful lot there to be, to be frank. So um, one of which Another one of our core beliefs is is something that that we fervently, um, you know, I, I guess with this audience I can say it all. We preach, <laughs> we fervently <laughs> um, preach this idea of a joint venture is a game of I'll go first. And and to be perfectly clear, as I borrowed that phrase from um, Dr. Shree Carter Scott, who wrote a book eons ago, um, "Love is a game of I'll go first. Wow. And um, what it really boils down to is this, is that we live in a world, and particularly in entrepreneurship, I, I, I think, which is this idea that, you know, what's the least amount of inputs that I can make, that I can give to get the greatest amount of outputs? You know, it's, it's that whole idea of how do we maximize profitability? How do we hack a system? How do we this? How do we that? How do we, and and that, that least amount in for the most out uh, is a model that I abhor. It just, it, it's, I believe it's ungrounded. I think that often it comes from a, a place of scarcity. Um, and of course, the other side of scarcity is greed. That doesn't genuinely work in the long haul in relationships, in business, in the world, in uh, economics, in uh, environment, in any of the places. So this idea of a joint venture as a game of I'll go first really boils down to this idea that I must be willing to give to become relevant, to move the needle, to do something of significance for you, for your community, for your family, so that I, number one, can break through the noise of the entertainment that goes on in our world right now. And in, in breaking through that noise, actually do something and be someone and create something that you care about, that moves the needle for you. Not for me, because at this stage of the game, that, that is not what we're up to, but moves the needle for you. And what we have found over, oh my goodness gracious, we really started doing this in earnest in 2017. So I guess we're four years, five years. Um, anyone can do that for a while, but what actually occurs is that if it is this, um, I'm gonna call it giving with hooks, 
if it is this um, uh, just trying to strategically position for some uh, proposed or hopeful gain in the future and those sorts of things, is that that giving can never be sustained. And what I've come to believe is that that, that I'll go first is unsustainable when people still are carrying forward a scarcity grounding, meaning that there's not enough in the world, meaning that I've got to fight for, to, to get what's mine, meaning that that client is mine, those resources are mine, I've got to guard and protect what's mine, I've got to make sure that nobody else is going to get it, I want to make sure that if I get a client, nobody else is going to uh, try and steal that client, like it's, it's a fear-based scarcity. And, and the giving is unsustainable from that perspective. So what we try to serve and support people to begin to align with the truth of there is an abundance of everything. There's an abundance of time, money, energy, love, support, connection, spiritual. There's everything. There's an abundance of everything. Please hear this. If our cup is big enough. And the truth of the matter is that most of us spend most of our lives running around with a thimble complaining that there isn't enough water when there's water everywhere. It's just that our thimble is too damn small. So we try to shift people to this idea of abundance. And quite literally, when, when we're living in this space of a joint venture is a game of I'll go first, as we quite literally try and have them shift their beliefs around as, as they're giving us, like you send a message to God, spirit, universe, whatever your beliefs happen to be um, of thank you, I have more than enough. It also reinforces this idea that if I have it to give, I create it and I can, of course, go and create more and an abundance thereof. Um, so that as a grounding point determines how people are in our community. And I'll be frank with you, is that if you don't have an abundance grounding, you won't stay in our community. It doesn't fit. It doesn't feel right. I, and, and I get, you know, occasionally people's like, yeah, it, it, that didn't work for me. And it's like, just to be clear, it's like breathing oxygen, it works for everybody, but it doesn't work if you have scarcity beliefs and a scarcity grounding, in which case it's like, I wish you the best and find in your spot, it ain't here. That's so true. I want to pause for a sponsor moment. Um, in addition to the Nonprofit Exchange podcast, Center Vision publishes a magazine, Nonprofit Performance 360. And here's our friend, Frank Shankowitz, who recently died, a uh, motorcycle cop that formed a nonprofit. He didn't really know how to run a nonprofit, but he surrounded himself with people who, who could help him do this. Um, and they learned together. And it's a legacy that he created going past his lifetime. Our, our magazine is, we publish it. It's printed by Word Sprint. Word Sprint's a, a marketing company that happens to own a print shop and they do direct mail. So if you've got a tribe and you wanna stay in touch with your tribe, you send your mail to the client. Our mail looks like this. It goes in an envelope, the magazine's on the front and we have sponsors that mail them. Their logo goes in the front. It says, hey, Hugh, I got something special to give you and a special offer inside. So if you're interested in getting your message out to 1.6 million pieces, uh, those are nonprofit leaders. We can select from that, the ones that fit your message and target that audience. It's top of mind marketing, the right message to the right person in a right rhythm. And it's gotta look good, but those are 30, 30, 30. 90% of it is those three things. Wordsprint.com is our partner. It's a joint venture when you do a sponsorship. It's also yes, it a type of joint venture. So wordsprint.com, Bill Gilmer and his group will be glad to share their information with you, whether you hire them or not. So Jay, I've been off script so far, throwing you some big questions. You've been very gracious. <laughs> so let me let me take a couple of the the pre uh, pre written questions. You've spoken around this a little bit, but let's hone in more specific. Um, what are some of the required benefits you must align your life and business with um, to succeed at joint ventures? Align your life and your business. What a concept. <laughs> um. Sorry, I, 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 got, I, I got entertained on the last piece there. Just one more time for the front end of the question, which is, what, so what beliefs have to be aligned for that? Yeah, so it's yeah. More, yeah if it's going to work, how do you align yeah. your beliefs, so business and, yeah. and, and personal? Well, I'll tell you something that, um, and this is, this is more um, of a personal journey. So this might be a little bit of a longer answer. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's pertinent here because our, the personal development uh, company that I uh, ran for many years, I actually went to work for them 
um, at the ripe old age of 22 years old. Uh, I was the 18th employee of a um, I was the 18th employee of this nonprofit organization called the Personal Best Training Society of Alberta. And um, as I'm sure people here have experienced, uh, given your world, is that that organization, like many or most others, came to that spot where there was the board of directors um, and the staff, which started button heads about how things should go and how things should be and all of those pieces. Anyway, through a long, weird turn of events, which I will not uh, bore you with the details, I end up owning the rights and the assets to that organization and took it private. And that was how that gave birth to this idea of personal best seminars. But what was interesting about taking it private was that I never actually shifted the belief that the organization existed for the good of the clients and the members. See, and I think that this is an important distinction, just talking about this, this, uh, and, and I'd love your opinion on it, Hugh, by the way, this is just my process, you might have a different view, um, which is organizations like churches, like NGOs, all those, sort of, those sorts of things, is they exist for the benefit of the members, of the community that they serve, of the tribe, all of those pieces. That's why it exists. That's why people contribute. That's why people often will work for less money than they would get in the private sector. That's why sometimes people work for free, which frankly I did before I took the thing over. All of those things. There's this idea that it is for them. Now, I take that organization public and I never actually shifted the belief. I just kept working for it and working for them. And an interesting thing happened. I was about two and a half years in. Uh, I'd, I'd, uh, and how I bought it was I agreed to pay off a bunch of debt, all the rest of it. I'd paid off the debt. I'd hired my first few employees. And there I was driving home one night at 1130 at night with my dear wife, who wasn't my wife yet. And, uh, I, and I cursed, just to be clear about this. We're driving across this, uh, this bridge leaving downtown Calgary. And I look at Corey and I say, son of a, you know what? Those people don't work for me. I work for them. They all went home at six. They all have their check coming in the next four days. And here you and I are yet one more time going home at 1130 at night because we had another day's work to do after our day's work was done. Now, I don't know how many entrepreneurs um, have figured this line out, but he, what, what struck me, and it, and it just niggled at me and niggled at me and niggled at me. It's like, there's something fundamentally wrong with how I'm going about this process. And here's what I came to, was that my business exists first to serve me. And if I can actually design and execute and run that business in a manner that it actually serves me in alignment and it works physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all those things, then I can then extend that so that it works for my team and my tribe. I can then extend that so that it works for my community and all the people who choose to come and participate and play. But if at its core, I have it reversed that, that it exists for my clients and I'm the one who has to carry it or be burdened by it or fix it or finance the debt for it or, 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 or that is an unsustainable and unfulfilling and out of alignment process. So for me, I think I learned the really, really, really hard way. The core of that question is that the business, I don't need the business. The business doesn't need me. I'm going to design a business that is in alignment with my values, my beliefs, my contribution, what I think is, is my unique, you know, pointy gift to the world. I'm going to do that. And it serves me first. And if I can't make that, that relationship work, none of the rest of it has a snowball's chance in hell. You know, people that don't understand that concept would, would certainly argue with you. Oh, we're here to serve others, but you know, it's like they, they do this. We've flown on an airplane far too many times and they tell you to put on the oxygen mask on yourself before you try to help somebody else. And, and so as we, in, in our proprietary uh, strategic planning process, we start with defining people's life goals mm -hmm. and how will this enterprise serve you? Now, if uh, somebody can misunderstand that to being selfish, we're setting this up just to serve ourselves. And, you know, people do that. But if we don't take care of ourselves, we're no damn good as leaders. Yes. 
And what you're talking about is a principle designed, defined by a psychologist, psychiatrist, Murray Bowen, MD, in his Bowen Leadership Principles. And that's an over-functioning. Um, mm-hmm. We do things that other people could do. Now, here's a quick story. In my fourth book that was that came out of the Methodist Publishing House, I interviewed uh, Cal Turner, who became a dear friend, still is. And Cal Turner said, I went to my team at Dollar General. It's, it's an American company. I don't know if you have mm-hmm. it or not. But he went to Dollar General. He said, you know, I inherited this job from my father who founded the company. So I'm the boss, which is double SOB backwards. He said this on my show. And he said, I'm worse. I'm the son of the boss. He said, I've got a vision, but you have the skills and uh, we're going to go public and I'm going to get out of your way. And after we, uh, he, he enjoyed the interview for the, this is an anthology of leadership stories. He enjoyed the interview so much that he wrote his own book. So he's not in there. Nice. But, but, but what he said to me, Hugh, leadership is about defining your gaps and define and finding good people to fill the gaps. And we miss this concept. You know, people say over and over, I have to be willing to do what I ask other people to do, the operative word is willing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I very much agree with you. And it took me a long time to learn that distinction, by the way. <laughs> we, we lead, other people do. You know, we can do anything because we, we, we invented it, so we know how it works. But you know, it's taken us away from the important work of leading and helping others grow their skills. So we're not doing anybody any favors by doing things for them. And like you just described, you probably didn't have the skills to learn how to delegate like you do now. And I will point out that you're on this interview today with a whole lot of stuff going on. You're launching new, a new event and all of this, but you know, you have this great gift of when you're with somebody, it's like, we're the only person in the world. So you have this precious gift of relating to people and, and elevating people in importance. And that in itself is a very unique skill that empowers people to step up. But you've also outlined in there where we step off, we step off the plank of over-functioning and we actually, the situations, and you probably look back and that situation was probably of your own creation and we tend to blame other There's people. No probably about that. <laughs> we, we can remove probably. <laughs> yeah. So we, we fall in this trap often and, and uh, that's how we say the word in America. We say often. So we fall into that trap because we feel I don't know what we feel, but it, but it's it's a basic leadership principle of let's define the vision, let's get a group around us, and let's define roles and responsibilities, and let's define the outcomes of what we want to see happen. So that I think it's a brilliant story, and I think everybody could learn from that. Um, so I'm going to ask one more question. I'm going to see if anybody that's watching on the webinar portion has a comment or a question, if that's okay with you. Of course. Um, how does the key to your success lie with the keen understanding of your clients' problems, your constituents, your members, your patrons, whoever you serve, how, how does that understanding impact the, your work? Um, boy, I, this, is, this is a big question. And there's actually an entire body of work in, in the, the weekend you're going to uh, come play with us, which I'm, I'm excited about you uh, at JVology Live. But, but I'm going to actually just back up a little bit from it to, to, to provide some context because it, it's it's shocking to me how many um, how many entrepreneurs number one aren't as clear as you might think um, that that they should be in terms of what is the actual problem they solve, um, and then if they are clear about the problem that they solve, aren't as clear, as uh, aware or as clear about their client's journey about how they came to have that problem. So, um, for context. In the entrepreneurial space, I would wager that this is this metaphor, by the way, holds exactly true for the NGOs, um, for uh, some of the parishes and the, the congregations and, and, and leaders of the congregations. But it sounds a little bit like this. In the entrepreneurial world, people wander around with these blinders on. You used the horse picture earlier. So if you can't see this, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a horse with the halter on with blinders on that is can only look one direction and that is forward. And basically, most entrepreneurs have the blinders on going, it's like, hey, do you have the problem I solve? Do you have the problem I solve? Hey, I'm pretty sure you have the problem I solve, but you don't know that you've got the problem. Do you have the problem that I solve? And it's, and it's this unbelievably narrow view trying to find somebody who has the problem that I can solve. And if I can find them, can I establish a conversation with them? Can I have rapport with them? Can I make an invitation with them? Like, then there's all these other pieces. 
you know, I submit that that's a ridiculous and silly way to go about entrepreneurship and building any sort of organization. Because whatever it is, the problem that I solve is that I don't need to look randomly hoping I'm going to find one, find someone who has that problem. The key is we take like two or three monumental steps back and do our very best to take the blinders off, or if we can't take them off, at least widen them to some degree, so that we can begin to look and understand our ideal client that shows up with the problem that we solve, that we know we can deliver this value, that we're gonna change their lives, we're gonna alter the trajectory of what's going on in their lives, that we can do that for sure. The truth is our ideal clients often have an unbelievably similar path that creates that problem. So here's what we do at JBology in its simplest of forms. We say what every entrepreneur needs is 10 great upstream partners. Now, what an upstream partner is, is they are a partner that either causes the problem we solve, or they diagnose the problem that we solve, or they reveal the problem that we solve to their clients who ideally then become ours. So I want to be very clear about this. So I used the example of Thinkific earlier. So Thinkific is a software platform. They do a great job of posting uh, digital content and doing all those sorts of things. So what happens is this, is Thinkific, when they deliver their solution, which is somebody has intellectual property, they'd like to format and structure so they can sell it as a course. Yahoo. They do that like nobody's business. Like they are really good at it. But with every single solution, there is four to seven new problems that occur. So when they do this little process about getting their digital course up and running and it's hosted and all those sorts of things, by the way, now they have a monthly payment to make sure that they've got to get that thing done, that monthly payment. Now they need clients. So Thinkific caused a problem, which is I pulled the intellectual property out of you and I put it in a spot, but now you need people to know about that. So they caused a problem, which is now people have their stuff out there, but they don't necessarily know how to sell it. I solve that problem. That's what I do. So Thinkific sends those folks to me and I help them sell that content by getting them connected with other great JV partners who have similar upstream and downstream. So this idea of problem solution becomes incredibly important in serving our clients better. And please hear this, making your organization, be that for-profit or for not, not for-profit, way more effective. So these 10 upstream partners who they cause the problem that we solve, they just send those clients to us because they know that they are serving their clients better when they do so. If those clients come and pay us money, then we send them what's called a referral fee or an affiliate fee or a commission. Now, the same thing holds true. Whenever I do uh, our little process for having people be inspired by joint ventures, they'll do joint ventures. And then it's like, well, wait a second. Now I need a database. Now I need a CRM. Now I need a new website. Now I need uh, to figure out how to do affiliate links. Now I'd like to host a summit. Now I want to uh, publish a book. Now I want to do this. Now I want to do that. And those become our downstream partners. So when we teach them what the possibility is for joint, for joint ventures, there's a, we cause a whole bunch of problems, which is technology, relationships, support, great partners, uh, all of those pieces, which of course, we refer them to our downstream partners for those pieces that we don't do. So that's why if we just really genuinely get clear about what's the problem I solve. And at JVology, we do this. We solve the problem of either not enough leads or too expensive leads or leads that aren't quite qualified. We wipe all that away and we get entrepreneurs and um, let's call it organization communities, a steady stream of perfectly qualified leads for free. That's what every entrepreneur genuinely wants and needs, whether they know it or not. Steady stream, perfectly qualified leads for free. It's a good problem to solve. <laughs> it is. And it sounds like it's a whole lot more efficient use of resources than throwing money at marketing online, which you don't know if it's useful or not. Uh, that, that is, um, I could go on a long rant about that uh, now. And just to be clear about this, I am a fan of both and as long as you can, you can follow up the attribution. We're, we're in the middle of actually a brand new testing campaign with a new piece of software that does perhaps the best attribution in the history of online marketing attribution. So I, I have fingers crossed, but I'll tell you what, if, if everything was wiped out for me tomorrow, everything, I wouldn't be running to spend money on digital marketing. I would be phoning the people that I've built relationships with and saying, hey, could we do a joint venture? And whatever I 
whatever disappeared, I would have back in 24 months. Love it, love it, love it, love it. What will people find when they go to go to jvology.live? That's J-V-O-L-O-G-Y-L-I-V-E.com. What will they find there? They're going to find 150 other brilliant entrepreneurs and uh, community leaders who are looking for partners, who are looking for upstream partners, who are looking for downstream partners. And they're going to find an inordinate amount of training about how to actually structure these deals, how to actually put the pieces together in a manner that uh, is a win-win-win for everyone. Um, and they're going to meet and actually learn how to do a great JV invitation. And they will do that JV invitation between 100 and 150 times in those three days. So uh, they'll meet a great community, they'll get incredible training. And uh, I, I, here's how I say it, actually. In anything when you're learning, there's what to do. And there's lots of places where you can figure out what to do. You can Google joint ventures and you'll figure out what to do. Um, and there's lots of courses and programs and events where they'll tell you what you should do. But the next piece is, is like, how do you do it? And in those three days, we hold your hand and literally show you how to do it. This is what a JV invitation is. This is how you actually do it. This is when you somebody said, yes, great. This is what you do next. This is how you confirm it. This is how you ma manage the expectations, like your question earlier, Hugh. This is what transpires. So we do the what to do, the how to do it. We do it with you. And then the most important part, and this is where other uh, places, frankly, I don't think can hold a candle to us, is that the best part is we give you the who to do it with. They're right there, they're ready to do deals and they want a partner. So you'll leave with real partners just learning how to do the process. And this is an area that, that nonprofits in America are pretty, pretty blind to. So I have two people watching here who are certified fundraising executives, both retired, but they're both team members for Center Vision. And um, I asked them to comment on um, how JVs, both in the sponsorship sense, but government, private, you know, business, nonprofit partnerships, Jeffrey, do you, we have about three minutes. Do you have a comment or question for, for Jay? Sure. I, I just, um, I think the joint venture thing, and Jay, this is really great stuff um, and translates really well over to the nonprofit sector. If, if people will look at it in, in the context of what they're doing. And I mean, one of the great joint ventures is at the checkout aisle when they ask if you <laughs> want to support the food bank or yes. the children's hospital or any other thing. I mean, those things are wildly, wildly successful. Whoever came up with that was brilliant, by the way. Tremendous, tremendously brilliant. And because a lot of folks do it because it's a buck or two bucks or five bucks. Um, and it's a way to make a little difference. And, and you don't even notice that if your grocery bills like ours, it's like, well, I, I didn't even notice that. Uh, yeah. It was the cheapest thing I bought, you know, that day. <laughs> um, I, I'm also involved in a, uh, I chair a board for a nonprofit in Michigan, which is a, the largest wildlife conservation organization in the state of Michigan. And we partner with, uh, with the universities, we partner with the state, we partner with the county, the cities, we partner with the local Indian tribes. We do a whole bunch of these kind of joint ventures to get conservation projects done. We wouldn't be able to do a lot of these projects if we didn't have these folks coming in either with money or different kinds of expertise and being able to pull. And sometimes these are multiple organizations involved in these joint ventures. And it's the reason we've been able to be successful. I wanna mention one quick thing that I love what you said, Jay, because I, I always tell people this, is you, you don't know who someone is until something goes wrong. And yeah. that's when you find out the true character of, of someone you know, and, and Tom Peters is famous for that quote, the problem is never the problem. The response to the problem invariably ends up being the real problem <laughs> because yes. somebody goes off the rails and ends up not doing what it was supposed to happen. So I thought that was really great that you brought that up. It's a, it's a good point people need to pay attention to. But, and, and I'll be perfectly, I mean, Hugh and I were teasing earlier about, you know, the 10 year run to the altar is that it I, and, and sometimes I'm asked to marry people so I've married quite a few people and I always it's like I actually won't say yes to marrying somebody generally speaking that they haven't been together for, for five years because in five years an entire cycle of life happens right the good the bad mm -hmm. the ugly the death the passing the the failure the win you you will know who somebody is in five years whether you want to or not <laughs> right yeah right absolutely so <laughs> I want to agree uh, thank you so much, Jeffrey. Bob Hopkins is on the line. Bob's written this great book, Philanthropy Misunderstood, which is the book everybody should have. Bob, um, we're, I'm sorry, we're short time. We, we could talk for hours, Jay. 
Bob, do you have a comment or a question for our guest today? Yeah, thank you very much. I'm so glad I got to tune in today. You saved me $350 in psychiatric fees because you solved a major problem that I have had for the last uh, 15, 20 years. I had a nonprofit and a for-profit working together and I had to give up the for-profit entity which broke my heart and my head and have blamed myself for it over and over and over again. However, had I not done that, I would not have written this book and then I would not have met Hugh Ballou. <laughs> so, you know, things happen for a reason, obviously. And so this thing I've been calling a failure certainly was not. It was a success all the way around. It's just that I had to give up something that I had dreamed about for a long time. And what I was dreaming about was $5 million that I was going to sell it for and didn't get to do that because it happened in the 2008, mm -hmm. 9, 10 timeframe. Anyway, I've enjoyed listening to you. Another thing that you told me that I loved is that you can't be a jack of all trades, that you have to focus in on one or two great things and then surround the P yourself with people who can do the rest. So thank you for that. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, gentlemen. So thank you. Um, Jay, if people go to jvology.live. Um, jvology.live.com. Excuse me. Yep. Um, is it, um, is, is it, um, is there still time to, to get into the event? When is the next event? Our, the next event is April 20th, and um, there is absolutely time to get in there. We would love, love, love to have you. Uh, there is a great little video that describes what transpires. There's tons of testimonials on the page. If you're wondering, it's like, will this work for me? And I think that's the, that's the biggest question that we get, Hugh, is will this work for me? And my response to that is this, is do people either buy your product or contribute to your community? And I was like, yes, well, then this is an environment where relationships will help that happen. So it applies everywhere. Sometimes we have to think a little more about what the structure is, but it, I've yet to come up with a, a spot where it doesn't work. Um, so there's lots of resources there. There's lots of uh, examples of how people have used it. Just come, you know, our, our view about this is just come check it out. Um, and you will know instantly if this is a fit for you or not in those three days. You'll leave with partners, you'll leave with deals, you'll leave with results, or you'll leave going, that's not for me, which virtually never happens. But come find out. I think it requires an open mind. And it also, the prerequisite is we're actually running a business that's tax exempt and has a lot of rules. But the topic we're talking about today is a hidden topic for many, many nonprofit leaders. We don't know how to put together this this kind of collaboration and in a grand sense it is a collaboration of time talent and and everything else we have and resources so um this this interview will be transcribed in 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 the page and jvologylive.com uh, is where we'll go uh, we can't do a call to action a nonprofit, but i can tell you i'm going <laughs> <laughs> so so jay what thought do you want to leave with people with or challenge what do you want to leave people with today I think it's pretty simple for me, which is this. No matter where you are at in your life, right this second, there are one, three, five key relationships that have been there, that have done that, that have access to the exact human beings and the communities that you need. And it isn't about working harder, it isn't about working smarter. The pathway to joy, the perfect mix of people, fun, and profit, that pathway is through meaningful relationships that matter. And I know I heard this when I was busy working hard. Um, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll get to that. I'll, I, I promise I will, but I just have 72 hours of work to do today first. And uh, my invitation to you is this, is to ask yourself the question of, why am I making it harder than it actually needs to be? Why am I saying no to the support that exists right here, right now? What is it inside of me that wants to still struggle and fight? And if you're ready for ease, if you're ready for joy, if you're ready uh, for leveraging your contribution instead of, you know, just continuing to make things harder and struggle, um, if you're ready for that, come play with us because I genuinely believe that life was not meant or intended to be a struggle here. I think that is a misunderstanding. It is a miscomprehension. It is a lack of consciousness that causes that. And, you know, what I stand for is we could do all of this and a whole lot more. 
um, if we could just align those two ideas. Jay Fizet, JVology, thank you for your inspiration and wisdom today. Um, I'm excited. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hugh. I appreciate you having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.